This is episode number 117 with the sleep doctor, Dr. Michael Bruce. New concepts and ideas to help you reach your full potential. Success 101 Podcast. Welcome to the Success 101 Podcast. This is your host, Jared Warren. In each episode, my goal is to bring you a new concept or idea to help you maximize your full potential. Thanks for joining me here today. Now let's kick things off. Hey guys, welcome back to the Success 101 podcast. This is your host, Jared Warren, and I'm very excited to bring to you guys Dr. Michael Bruce this morning on a topic that's very dear to my heart, and that is the issue of sleep. I was excited to get Dr. Bruce on, and Dr. Bruce is a clinical psychologist, but he does so much more than that around the area of sleep. A couple of interesting facts about Dr. Bruce. Number one, he was one of the youngest people to have passed the board at age 31, And also, with especially in sleep disorders, he's one of only 163 psychologists in the world, guys, with his credentials and distinction. And Dr. Bruce is all over the place on TV. He's been interviewed on CNN, Oprah, The View, Anderson Cooper, Fox & Friends, CBS Early Show, The Today Show, Live with Kelly and Michael. And you can find many, many talks and interviews with Dr. Bruce out there online just by doing a quick search. So Dr. Bruce also has a couple of great books out there. The Sleep Doctor's Diet Plan, Lose Weight Through Better Sleep, came out in 2011. And his very first book, Good Night, The Sleep Doctor's Four-Week Program to Better Sleep and Better Health, is now available as a paperback as Beauty Sleep on Amazon. Look younger, lose weight, feel great through better sleep. Lots and lots of great material on sleep that we all need to be tuning into in order to live optimal, in order to hit peak performance each day, and to really achieve the goals that we're trying to work toward in our lives. And I'm so excited to have him here on the show with us today. Hey, good morning, Dr. Bruce. Welcome to the Success 101 podcast. How are things out in California this morning? Uh, it's actually a pretty day out here this morning. Uh, you know, Cal- Southern California weather is almost never bad. So that's one of the reasons that we moved here. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, is there ever a not pretty day out there? I don't think so. Thank goodness. So you're the nation's most trusted authority on sleep. I believe I read on your website. You've been featured on Fox and Friends, Michael and Kelly. You've even been on The View. You've been on Dr. Oz. I mean, you're all over the place when it comes to sleep. And that's was so excited to be able to have a chance to get you on today. And I think we're talking about the obvious, which is why sleep is so important, which for people like myself who have struggled with sleep and people like you that know the ins and outs of it, it's like, you know, yeah, there can't be a more, you know, resounding, you know, aha moment that sleep is important. But I think for most people out there, it's a very, I would just say, for lack of better words, boring, very inefficient, very just time, you know, time waste. And I thought that for so long until I hit my burnout and hit my, uh, you know, hit the wall, I guess, so to speak. Talk to us a little bit about what got you on this path of really wanting to study sleep and how beneficial you found it to be in the lives of your patients. Well, you know, it wasn't, I didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, I want to be a sleep doctor. That certainly wasn't an aspiration from high school and college. I was uh, in graduate school studying to get my PhD in clinical psychology, 
And I originally had wanted to help athletes. I was interested in athletic performance and psychological intervention and guided imagery and how to make athletes perform better. And so I went to a program where a residency program rather that had that as an option. And one of the other things that you could take was a rotation in the sleep uh, department. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of cool. I mean, you know, I thought it, it sounded a lot more interesting to me than some of the other options that I had. So it ended up being the first rotation that I did. And within three days, I absolutely fell in love with clinical sleep medicine. You know, I have the opportunity to be able to help people very quickly, which doesn't usually happen that way. Uh, in most cases, it takes years to see treatment gains. You know, things that you would have never imagined can happen, happen very, very quickly in the sleep world, which is great. It works out well for me. It works out well for the patients. And, um, you know, everybody gets better a lot faster. And it's amazing. I think part of the reason is, is because there are so few sleep specialists out there. You know, comparatively speaking, looking at um, the sort of how many doctors are out there and, and the different specialty levels, what we see is there aren't that many sleep specialists. I happen to be a unique kind of sleep specialist because I'm also a clinical psychologist. And so I'm really most interested in insomnia and sort of what does that mean? How does that work for people? what's going on for them. To be able to help people understand their sleep a whole lot more has certainly been a, a passion of mine for a while. I started doing TV um, just because I was the WebMD sleep expert for 15 years. And during that period of time, what you see is there's a lot of people who would come to WebMD and say, hey, we need an expert for this or an expert for that. And uh, I just started getting into it. And I'm a little bit of a ham anyway. I don't mind going and getting in front of a crowd and talking about sleep and getting people excited about it. And so that's kind of how it all sort of started. And it's been 16 years now that I've been doing this. And um, I really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun to be able to talk to people about sleep and get them excited about it. You know, I always tell people if I was a cardiologist, I might not be nearly as fun at cocktail parties because lots of people have met cardiologists, but not a lot of people have met sleep doctors. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I recently had Ryan Muncy of Natural Stacks on my podcast, mm -hmm. and he said a very important phrase. And he said, you know, at Natural Stacks, their job is to help people feel optimal. And when you don't have sleep, you're not optimal. You can't perform. Right. And I feel like for most people that I talk about, whether it's on the podcast or just in life about, you know, the lessons I've learned about sleep is that is really what it's about. If you're going to be in peak performance, and that doesn't just mean being in a highly successful job, that means being at home with your family. That means having great friendships. That means just, you know, all the things that you talk to your clients and the people reading your books about. If we're going to live a more optimal life, sleep is so crucial. And I know we're going to get into your uh, upcoming book here that comes out in September called The Power of Wins. Yes. But if we can just stay for just a few more minutes and also your quiz, mm -hmm. by the way, I want to be able to direct people there to be able to take the quiz as I just recently did. But if we're going to stay on this, I'd love to stay on this path here of, you know, the benefits of sleep. You and I had a chance to catch up before the podcast, and I told you that that's been a really, you know, just a big aha moment for me in my life, wearing the melatonin glasses at night, talking about circadian <laughs> rhythms, how important those are, how your PM, what you do in the PM is so important to how your AM starts off each day and sets you on a course for productivity in life. But I don't know if it's rituals or if it's just uh, rhythms or whatever it is that you want to dive into. But I just want to give you the floor as the expert on this and share with my listeners what you've learned, what is out there to be to perform most optimal and how we can start today viewing sleep in a different way. Sure. Well, you know, first of all, I think one of the things that people need to remember is nobody out there has failed 
at sleep. A lot of my patients think that. They say to me, oh, Dr. Bruce, you know, I used to be able to sleep so great when I was in college or when I was in high school, and now I'm an adult, and it doesn't work that way anymore, and I don't know why, and what have I done? Could I have screwed it up? And the answer to the question is, well, probably. You, you probably did something that wasn't the smartest thing to do, but you didn't do it on purpose, and it's usually pretty easy to fix. Well, I should say it's simple to fix. It's not easy to fix. You know, a lot of people out there who have difficulty either falling asleep or staying asleep, which would be considered to be insomnia, don't realize, but, you know, the body is very consistent. And the more consistent we can be with the body, the better the body will perform. And so, you know, what we've learned about sleep over the last decade is actually pretty interesting. We still have no idea why we sleep. We know that there are multiple theories out there. Some would say it's to consolidate memory. Some would say it's to re-energize our body. Others would say it's to repair anything that could have happened during the day. I personally think all three are true. So, you know, when you look at these types of scenarios and you start to say, hmm, what have we learned? There's quite a bit. We now know that sleep is a two-step process. There are two things distinctly going on in the brain. One is that, in fact, there is a sleep drive, uh, much like hunger, right? So I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. I eat something and that hunger dissipates. The same holds true with sleep. There is a buildup of sleepiness, if you will, that occurs throughout the day. It turns out that you can actually trace this to a neurochemical substrate called adenosine. So adenosine is the byproduct of a cell. So if a cell eats some glucose, what comes out the other side is in part adenosine. And as that builds throughout the brain, um, there are receptor sites and that for adenosine in particular. And adenosine hits there. And when enough adenosine gets into those receptor sites, we get super sleepy and um, eventually we fall asleep. Now, what's also kind of fascinating, if you look at the molecular structure of adenosine and you look at the molecular structure of caffeine, they're almost identical. They're off by one molecule, which is why caffeine fits so nicely into that receptor site. And so what caffeine is actually really doing is it's not, in fact, changing your level of sleepiness. It's just blocking your sleepiness. And then when your brain burns through that caffeine, there's a flood of adenosine that comes in and that's where that caffeine crash has a tendency to come in. And that's where a lot of people have a tendency to see and say, oh my gosh, there's all this caffeine, you know, I'm crashing, this stinks, you know, what am I going to do? That kind of thing. So that is side one. Side two is that what's called your circadian rhythm. So this is your internal biological clock and your internal biological clock tells you when to eat, when to sleep, when to go to the bathroom, so on and so forth. And so when those two systems are aligned, when your sleep drive is high and your circadian rhythm is consistent, meaning you're going to bed and waking up at the same times daily, your body will function better. You know, your body, while we all think of our bodies as machines, that's probably not the best description, but there are some machine-like qualities to our body. And, you know, regular and consistent use keeps, you know, everything moving in the right direction. And so by understanding that about that level of consistency and about how sleep really works, it opens up a whole new avenue of tips and suggestions for getting a better night's sleep. So as an example, you know, I have five tips that I give people to help them to sleep that very night. And so for all of the listeners out there, there are five things that you can start doing today that can help you sleep this evening. The first one is, like I mentioned earlier, is you want to have a consistent sleep schedule. Go to bed at the same time, but more importantly, wake up at the same time. Specifically, you want to wake up within a 15 to 20 minute window of when you normally get up. So if during the week you get up at 6.30 for work, I wouldn't want you to sleep past 7 on the weekends. And if at all, I'd rather you not, you not sleep in at all. I'd rather you wake up exactly at the same time. 
again, the wake-up period of time is important for two reasons. One is that circadian consistency, but number two, it's also to get sunlight. So it turns out that sunlight is a what's called a zeitgeber. So sunlight comes in, hits the optic nerve, bounces around, ends up in a part of your brain that controls your circadian rhythms. And it basically turns off the melatonin faucet. And so by getting that sunlight, by waking up consistently every day and you know opening your eyes and there's sun in your room, hopefully, or you walk over towards a window or you walk outside, then you get that level of sunshine and that stops that melatonin faucet and gets away that morning fog and keeps your system running smoothly. Step number two is to stop caffeine by 2 p.m. Now, you notice I didn't say stop caffeine. I have a cup of coffee almost every day, and it doesn't bother me one way or another. But you have to be careful because most people don't realize that caffeine has a half-life of between 8 and 10 hours. So by having your last cup of caffeine at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, then what we find is, is that by 10, 10.30, at least half of it is out of your system. And you need half of it to be out of your system in order for you to be able to um, not have the effects of difficulty falling asleep from it. So stop caffeine by 2 p.m. is a good piece of advice. Step number three is to stop alcohol approximately three hours before bed. So why would I say three hours? It takes the average human body approximately one hour per alcoholic beverage to digest. And so I'm figuring that people are going to have two on the high side, three glasses of wine, cocktails, beers, whatever with dinner. And so I want you to have stopped your last sip of alcohol, the number of hours based on the number of drinks. So if you had two drinks then and you go to bed at 10, you need to stop drinking by 8. If you uh, had three drinks, then you need to go to bed at 11. So trying to understand that is going to be very, very important. Most people also don't realize about alcohol that while alcohol makes you feel sleepy, it actually prevents you from getting into the deeper stages of sleep. So that's something also to remember is there's a very big difference between going to sleep and passing out. And passing out is not going to be doing your body any favors. Step number four has to do with exercise. So I tell people consistently, you know, what you need is daily exercise. You really need to be thinking about and doing things on a daily basis. We know that daily exercisers sleep better historically. We know that daily exercisers sleep deeper historically. So if you want to know what the single best way is to, in fact, improve the overall quality of your sleep, the easy way to do that is to exercise. The problem, though, is exercising too close to bedtime. For some people, exercise revs them up. Other people, it kind of slows them down. So you have to be very, very consistent in understanding which it does for you. If you're an exerciser and it calms you down, you can exercise up to two hours before going to bed. But if you're one of those people that it revs you up, I would say you want to have a four-hour window before bed in terms of stopping your exercise. And that, it's not like you have to run a marathon. You know, people can have 25 minutes of cardiovascular exercise and it will have a great effect on them and, as well as their sleep. The last one is to get 15 minutes of sunlight in the mornings. And I spoke about that, you know, to begin with, but it's really having a, a ritual, if you will, wake up, go to the window, drink a bottle of water. Uh, notice I didn't say drink a cup of coffee and get some sunlight. You know, during sleep, you breathe off about a liter of water. And so everybody wakes dehydrated. So the very first thing that people should be doing is drinking some room temperature water and getting in front of a window. And those two things alone will help you wake up and feel a lot better. Any tips for people like myself who are usually getting into the office extremely early, maybe for a workout or just to get some, you know, quiet time meditation, something like that in uh, normally here around 4.30, 5 a.m. For my listeners that hear, you know, that hear that, what is the maybe the optimal thing to do for them to get woken up pretty quickly? 
Well, you know, I wish I could tell you that everybody was the same and that, you know, we could, you know, bam, be able to, you know, get there for you very, very quickly. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work that way. There are a lot of people out there that it's very difficult for them to wake up that early. There is yeah, I'm saying primarily since they don't have the, uh, I guess, the sunlight, you know, we can go drink water, but there's no sunlight <laughs> to look at. Or is there anything artificial that could somewhat mimic that or take the place of that? There is. There are actually light boxes that are available. And so you can go on to Amazon and um, there's one called the Go Light, G-O-L-I-T-E, that's available on Amazon. I think it's like 150 bucks. That will mimic sunlight. Um, people have dawn simulators that are alarm clocks that slowly kind of create a dawn in their bedroom. But, you know, if you're getting up at 430, you really don't want to wake up your bed partner at that period of time. And you want to stay, you know, with that person. I wouldn't recommend waking them up, you know, with a dawn simulator. But I um, agree. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, maybe in the next room or while you're preparing your breakfast or what have you, there isn't there are very, very few people that function well at that time in the morning. The body just really wasn't meant to be up awake in the darkness. That's just not how the body works. And so while it might be convenient and you might be able to get a lot of things done, you are kind of going against mother nature to a certain degree. And while I don't necessarily recommend it, if it's, if it's one of those unavoidable situations, then things like using a light box in the early morning to stop that melatonin faucet will absolutely help with that, you know, morning fogginess, if you will. Melatonin at night is not necessarily a bad thing either. You know, I don't like people to have to take something every night for sleep. There are certain situations where that is advisable, um, mental health issues, you know, depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia, um, things of that nature, people who are very medically frail, with pain syndromes, cancers, things like that. Those are all people that are going to need to take a medication on a fairly regular basis. But um, generally speaking, I don't like people to have to take anything. But melatonin is probably one of the more reasonable things to consider because what it does is it changes that circadian clock. So remember, we were talking before about the two systems, and one of the systems is a circadian rhythm. Melatonin is a sleep regulator, not a sleep initiator. So melatonin has no effect on sleep drive. Melatonin has an effect specifically on your circadian rhythm. And so understanding that and understanding when to take melatonin and how much to take can actually be quite helpful. So the appropriate dose is between a half and one milligram. Unfortunately, 95% of the melatonin that's sold out there is sold in an overdosage format. And we see it in three milligrams, five milligrams, 10 milligrams. That's a completely unnecessary, will cause side effects such as nightmares, elevated blood pressure in some cases, reactions um, to other medications. So you have to be very, very careful. Number two is the timing. It takes 90 minutes for plasma concentration levels to reach a level where melatonin is effective. So you don't take it like a sleeping pill where you take it right before bed. You take it 90 minutes before lights out. And it's not going to have this woozy, oh my gosh, I'm so tired effect. It's not how it works. It's simply um, basically telling your brain it's dark outside, whether it is or it isn't, and then allowing your sleep drive to sort of take over and help you fall asleep. You know, melatonin is not regulated by the FDA. And uh, in some countries, it's by prescription only. At very high dosages, it's a contraceptive. Uh, Most people don't know that. So Giving melatonin to children is one of the worst ideas I've ever heard. Um, nobody should take it who is under the age of uh, probably 18, 19 years old. So those are ways that you can kind of cheat your chronorhythm or your chronotype. Some people are genetically born early risers. I call them lions. That's part of my new book, The Power of When, is we help identify who is an early morning person, who is a late night person, and then 
I don't like the idea of going against mother nature or against your genetics. I like the idea of going with them. And so, you know, you might be an early morning person. You might be a person who can get up early in the morning, goes to bed fairly early, uh, and that's your schedule and you're consistent with it and it works well for you. I don't recommend people waking up at 4.30 in the morning. Even if it's the only time you have to work out, I would argue that it's going to be more important for your overall bodily function to sleep than it is to work out. And so it's really a natural primal drive that you must uh, attain much the same way you have to have food, you have to have sleep. So I would say that in most cases, I'd rather you, you know, follow that simple rule of sleep before working out. But there are ways to kind of cheat yourself into becoming a morning person. So let's camp out on that for a second, if you don't mind. I sure. scored out on your test, which we will, uh, I'll put in the show notes, uh, how our listeners can, uh, can get to that test as well. But uh, I scored out as a bear. I was surprised by that because some, some of the remarks that you had on your video after the test, I identified with uh, most, I mean, all of them I identified with as far as my genetic makeup, <laughs> but because of the, and maybe it's self-imposed pressure. I'm not going to, I'm not going to mask that and say that it's all my career, but I feel like that I can't, if I'm not getting up that early, I can't get uh, you know, it's the whole not enough time in the day idea. And I feel like I'm a pretty organized, systematized type of person. And it's still mm -hmm. just always trying to find more time. What time do you go to bed? I normally, well, nowadays I'm trying to get in bed by somewhere between 9 and 10 p.m. Okay. And, you know, I, I'm trying to push the needle up to get to seven. I think I'd shared with you that on my rolling 10-day average, the, the neurologist told me to track. I was sleeping about four hours and seven minutes, four hours and three minutes, I think was the first one I tracked. And so I've brought it from there up to around six hours and want to get that on up to seven. But I feel like with uh, with a lot of the demands that I have in my life and then still wanting to have some me time to just, you know, get, like I said, get the workout in, get the inbox cleaned out a little bit, just some me time stuff where I'm not just waking and working and waking and working. I have to almost perform like a lion. And so what I'm hearing you say by that is it's going against my genetic makeup to do the things that I feel like I need to do. But at the same time, I feel like if I don't get up early to get those things in, I create a lot of unnecessary stress on myself by not having, you know, quote unquote, not enough time in the day. What would you tell some of the people who are out there saying the same thing, you know, saying, you know, I don't love getting up that early every morning. I found ways to do it and, and hack it to where it works. And, you know, it, it helps in a lot of other ways. What would you say to them? Well, I would argue that it depends on the reason why somebody's going to do that. You know, first of all, remember, not everybody needs eight hours of sleep. I've been a six and a half hour sleeper almost my entire life. And my wife needs eight. People are, that is a genetically predetermined based on the length of a very particular gene called the PER3 gene. And the length of that gene actually determines how long or how active your sleep drive is and so, and your sleep need. So there are some people out there who just don't need a lot of sleep. So let's just argue that you're a, you need six and a half hours and you get up at what time? 4.30? Yeah, somewhere around 4, 4.30. So let's say you get up at 4.30. Going to bed at 10, if you're a six and a half hour sleeper, I think I'm fine with that. Does, what does that make you? That makes you more of a bear in my mind than anything else. And here's why. So for those of you out there wondering what these animals are, a lion is somebody who wakes up, goes to bed early and wakes up very early. A bear is somebody who is kind of the normal social schedule. And that makes up 50% of the population, by the way, lions make up about 15%. Wolves are people who uh, are night owls, right? They like to stay up late and they like to sleep late. And then people with insomnia fall into a whole nother category, about 10% of those wolves, about 15. And so I believe you took the quiz, uh, which people can go to at 
powerofwhenquiz.com and discover what their chronotype is. And uh, I believe you took the quiz and you were a bear, uh, which most people are. So uh, that's not a particularly big surprise. You just happen to be a bear that has to wake up really early. And again, all that's doing is telling me if you're functioning well, that you only need six, six and a half hours. And so you're kind of following that bearish schedule because the, the average individual out there goes to bed between 10 and 11. And so you're pretty close to that. So that doesn't surprise me that you would kind of have a bearish characteristic and, and a bearish sleep schedule. And so then from there, we can actually tell you what the best time of day is to do certain things and things like that. But, you know, I've got people who are lions, but uh, for whatever reason, they have to stay up late. I've got the opposite. I've got people who are wolves who have to get up early. So, it, you know, our social schedules are ones that are important, but at the same time, there's only so much you can fool in the mother nature. I had a patient just yesterday I was talking to, and uh, she told me that she had to wake up at three o'clock in the morning or 3.30 in the morning to get to a client's house by five. She's a trainer. And I turned to her and I said, I'm just going to be very frank with you. The amount of money that you're going to make from that one client is not worth what you're doing to your health. You need to just stop that person. And she looked at me like I was crazy. She's like, are you telling me that I should stop my income? I said, no, I'm not. I'm saying this one client is not worth it for you because you're waking up at, you know, four o'clock in the morning or yeah, four o'clock to be there by 5.30 because there's a fairly decent drive that she had to do for this client. I'm like, there's just no way it's worth it. So, you know, understanding what's worth it and what's not worth it, I think, and making those tough decisions is going to be part of the process. Yeah. And I've seen people go almost the other end of the spectrum where I talk to them about the sleep issues that I have had in the past. And for those listening out there who don't know my backstory last year, I, I really hit a wall of fatigue and burnout and realized that I was, you know, basically killing myself slowly and didn't didn't realize that. And a lot of it was self-imposed stress of just trying to grind and grind and grind and muscle it through. And a lot of that was sleep. I watched my parents, you know, my parents would go to bed really late at night, just for whatever reason, mostly my mom. And then I would hear pans clanging at like, you know, 430 in the morning, she's in there making breakfast. And I'm like, oh my gosh, did she sleep at all? So I watched that growing up and I got this determination of, I don't need much sleep. But when you're younger, that's fine. And as I'm sure as, as you've seen, as you get older, that starts really affecting you a lot more, which is what happened to me. But I've seen people who say, you know what, you're right, I need to sleep more. And I've started getting up a little later in the mornings, but then what they'll do is they'll start carrying more work home at night and you find them burning the candle at that end. And that's, you know, it's not like that's any better, right? Because they're, they're staying up later at, at night. So I'm sure you've seen people shift their patterns to an unhealthy way to another unhealthy way by, you know, by doing that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's surprising when people don't realize well, they kind of have an inkling. They're like, yeah, I know my sleep stinks or yeah, I know I really should do this or should do that. Get off your butt and do it. You're going to, over the course of time, it's, you're not just going to self-correct. It's not going to be like one day I'm going to be able to retire and catch up on all that sleep I missed for the last 20 years. It just, the body doesn't really work that way. It's a constant caring for your body. You've only got one of them. You might as well keep it in fairly decent shape. Sleep is one of those things you cannot avoid. The problem, though, it's interesting, is that the more sleep deprived you get, there are mechanisms inside your brain that tell you that you're okay. And so, you know, when you're hurt, like let's say you're an athlete and you're exercising and you hurt yourself, you get this signal, it's called pain, and it stops you from doing whatever it was that you were doing that injures yourself. For sleep, the brain is actually the exact opposite. The brain will continue to tell you, hey, it's okay, don't worry if you're sleepy, we can bypass that with something called adrenaline or something called cortisol. And 
your brain doesn't want to hear that it's sleepy. I think that's a protective mechanism from way back in caveman days, because if you were awake at a particular period of time when you shouldn't be, it was probably because something bad was going down. You know, saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths chasing you and all of those terrible things. So I think that that is something that has evolved over a long, long period of time to basically make us not think about how sleepy we are. And so that's something that's actually working against us because what happens? Oh, you have another cup of coffee or do a couple of push-ups and you just kind of work your way through it. And that's not always the best thing for your health. Totally agree. And before we dive into the book here, if you wouldn't mind, take me through, we talked about, you know, blue light or light box in the morning. Let's go to the other side of that as you're getting ready to go to bed. I'm so glad you mentioned that melatonin is not really a sleep aid, almost like a sleeping pill. That's what I thought it was for so long. And uh, and it's really the initiator of sleep. And I even read one time, and I think this is correct, that if you were to take melatonin in the middle of the day, when you're around bright light and other things, it's really not going to do anything for you because it's not the proper time to take that. And you mentioned the timing of it. But talk about this blue light. You know, I'm, I'm such an Apple fan and have been for so long. But the blue light in our face, the way that they've come now and put the, you know, the sleep mode on these phones, uh, really, I'm really, I guess, proud of them, I guess I would say, just because there's so many things that they do right. But this is one that shows that they're really focused on health and the demand of the people will win out every time with these technology companies. But I'm so glad they've got the sleep mode on there. As I mentioned to you, I've got Flux on my computer. I don't have any blue light in my face at all. I've got two iPads, an iPhone, and a Microsoft Surface that I work off of constantly each day. All of those are basically in amber-colored mode constantly. And I I hope I'm not doing anything to harm my eyes there. With as much as I've read, I don't think I am. No, no, I don't think you are either. Um, The big thing to remember there is when you look at Apple and what they did, Without meaning to, I don't think there was any malice or forethought in this. They created a health problem, right? So they didn't expect that everybody was going to be looking at their phones the first thing when they wake up in the morning and the last thing before they go to sleep and checking their Facebook and sending out tweets and all these other wonderful things. But they did what they didn't understand was that the light that was being emitted from these devices, it is causing a problem um, for two reasons. One is the wavelength of light in particular. It's a 460 nanometer blue spectrum light. And that is the thing that turns off the melatonin faucet. That's the light that you get from sunlight that causes that. Number two was the proximity. You know, it's one thing to have a television across the room that's got a little bit of blue light that's coming out of it, but it's going across, you know, 12, 18 feet. So the likelihood of it having a problem with your sleep is minimal, but possible, as opposed to something that's 18 inches from your face, right? You're looking at your phone. It's very close to your eyes. Uh, it's an, it is an unnatural situation where blue light is being flooded into the optic nerve. Same with tablets, you know, watching your you know, Game of Thrones or playing Candy Crush uh, until all hours of the morning, all it's doing is telling your brain to stay awake. And so uh, there are programs, you mentioned Flux, uh, the iOS system now has a night shift uh, where it decreases the brightness. There are even pro- uh, products out there, shields, little plastic shields that act as filters that can be very helpful. So there are plenty of things that can be done in order to help people avoid blue light at night. And, but I would say that the five things that I talked about at the top of the program will override almost all of that. Yeah, should you have an electronic curfew or what people call the electronic sunset an hour before lights out? Yeah, you should. Um, you should plug your phones and your tablets into the next room so they don't bother you in the middle of the night. I agree. If that's just not possible for you, just put it across the room and you know try to slow your addiction that way. Um, and eventually get them out of the room if you possibly can. 
Awesome. Great advice. Now let's dive into the power of when. I know that's coming out in September, so we've got just a little while to wait on it, but I know we'll blink and it'll be here. Uh, tell us about the, uh, tell us more about the book. Well, you know, we're excited about it. So it's all about chronorhythms. And so I used to write books all about sleep and, I, and I've done that for a while and I, I've enjoyed it. This will be my third book. But one of the things that um, I realized was I was, I've worked with patients on a fairly regular basis. And some of my techniques, quite honestly, weren't working very well, which was surprising to me that they were not working very well. I was finding that some of my patients, no matter what we did, we just could not get them to sleep. And I said, well, gosh, there must be something else going on here. And then I started to look into the idea of circadian rhythms. There are certain circadian rhythm disorders where people are what are called phase advanced or phase delayed. And so I started to wonder, could my patients be suffering from that? And um, lo and behold, they weren't suffering from that. But what I did discover was that, in fact, they were, they were just misaligned. Their chronotypes were not in line with what their social schedule was. And so most of the time, people who are walking through my door are wolves. So they're night owls or they're dolphins. They're people with um, an insomnia sort of chronotype. And so once I was able to identify those types of people, I could adjust my techniques and all of a sudden they started working again. So I thought to myself, well, I can't be the only person out there who's got these types of patients. We need to kind of get the word out and get people thinking about this. And then the other thing I realized was that if you know what your chronorhythm is, if you know if you're an early bird or a night owl or an in-between or an insomniac, I can actually figure out what the best time of day is to do certain things. You know, most self-help books tell you what to do or they tell you how to do it. They don't tell you when to do it. So the power of when is all about looking in your schedule and knowing the best time to do things. I can tell people the best time to have sex, eat a cheeseburger, ask their boss for a raise, talk to their kids, take their medication, weigh themselves, go to the bathroom, play a musical instrument, uh, brainstorm, be creative, buy something, sell something, email, you name it. There's an activity. I can tell you neurochemically what needs to happen. And then once I know what your chronotype is, I know the schedule in which those chemicals are wandering around your brain. You know, one of the thing, one of the top questions that people ask me is, well, what's the best time to have sex, Dr. Bruce? Everybody seems to want to know that. And here's the theory. So if you look at when do people have sex now, it's almost exclusively at night. Um, and it's almost exclusively late at night. So we know that there are certain things required uh, in order for sexual activity to occur from a neurochemical standpoint. You need elevation in testosterone, in estrogen, in progesterone. You need some cortisol. You need uh, oxytocin, which is something that gets released after orgasm and also pre-orgasm. All of these things are things that you need. Well, late at night, all of those are in decline. Every single thing I just mentioned is not at a height. And then the other thing is, is that melatonin is the sleep hormone is out and available and starting to rise in your system, starting at around 930. And so when you start to look at the timing of sexual activity, it couldn't be at a worse time being in the late evening. It, it really couldn't because of all the things that are necessary. So, you know, when's the best time? Well, it turns out that Saturday mornings at around, you know, 8, 30, 9 o'clock would probably be the most optimal time from a performance standpoint to have sex. And people should kind of know and understand that and think, hmm, maybe I should try that. But of course, it's not just that you're one person having sex. There's a partner usually. And what if that partner has a different rhythm than yours. So let's say that you're a night owl and you're married to an early bird. Uh, when's the best time to have sex? I actually created a chart. And so there's a chart inside the book. So you can look at your chronotype, look at your bed partners, and it'll tell you 
a morning time and an evening time of when's the best time to have sex so that you can have your hormones at the right stage and be willing to perform in a way, shape and form that you're looking for. So, you know, those are the types of things that we talk about with people. Asking your boss for a raise is another big question that people have a tendency to ask me about. So let me tell you a little bit about that. So it's not just about time of day. It's also about time of week for something like that. And so if you're looking at days of the week, the best, the day of the week where people are the most positive and the most happy turns out to be Friday. Not a big surprise. The weekend's around the corner. There's not much left to do. People aren't, you know, you know, head down and focused. They're kind of thinking about the weekend and maybe, you know, tying up a couple of loose ends. So Friday's a good day. The later in the day that you get towards quitting time, the more positive attitude that people have. So going towards the end of the day, the two, three, four o'clock range is probably one of the best times. But then you have to think about confidence and you have to think about alertness and you have to think about your ability to communicate. Right. And so we know that Friday afternoons is probably the best time. But when during those Friday afternoons is going to work for you, that's where your chronotype comes in. And so if you're an early bird, you're going to be much more articulate at two o'clock in the afternoon than if you're a night owl, because at night owl is going to be more articulate. We're not after work at like six o'clock. But, you know, they can probably get away with about a four to five o'clock range to walk into their boss's office and talk to them. Although I don't recommend walking in Friday afternoon at five o'clock to your boss to ask for a raise and if they got one foot out the door. You might want to try four. Bears, like yourself, would be somewhere in between. So, you know, just thinking through those ideas and changing your schedule around. And that's all I'm asking people to do, by the way. I'm not asking you to change the way you talk to your boss. I'm not asking you the way to change the way that you have sex. I'm just saying do it at a different time and do run the social experiment yourself and see if it's any better, because in many, many cases, it really is. So here's what I would say. If you are interested in the topic of sleep, I've actually created a summit called the Sleep Success Summit. If you go to www.sleepsuccesssummit.com, uh, August 8th, what you will find is a free seminar. We actually, I interviewed 35 speakers and there were people, there'll be four to five lectures per day. And we are going through everything you could possibly imagine. I've got grief counselors. I've got thyroid experts. I have the NASA sleep specialist. I have Ariana Huffington. I have the president of the National Sleep Foundation. I have people who have sleep disorders themselves, such as narcolepsy or restless leg syndrome. I've got functional medicine experts who are talking about melatonin and when should you test it. I've got um, alternative medicine people, like people who do Chinese medicine or meditation. I've got biohackers. You name it, and we've kind of got it on there. And it's very, very interesting to hear their perspectives on sleep and what does it mean for them. And so whatever particular thing that you're into we've got an opinion about sleep on it and why it's sleep important and what you can do to get a better night's sleep within that whole holistic framework. So I highly recommend people go to www.sleepsuccesssummit.com and register. You can do that today and then you'll get reminder emails about uh, when the summit is coming up. So again, that website is sleepsuccesssummit.com. Dr. Bruce, thanks so much for your time. I know you're incredibly busy and uh, appreciate you dropping by the Success 101 podcast to drop a few nuggets of wisdom on us as to how we can sleep better and have better lives and reach ultimate peak performance. And uh, I'm sure the guys are going to have a real hard time on the uh, the whole sex thing that you said, try out different times. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's going to be a tough one for them to, to do. But uh, Well, the funny thing is about the sex one is, is that if you look at men, men will have sex whenever it's offered. It's more along the lines of women. They have more preferences in different areas. But guys are going to do better there uh, in the mornings. Right. 
Well, thanks so much again. And we will certainly link everything that you've mentioned here, including the links in our show notes. And uh, thanks again for dropping by the Success 101 podcast and appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. And uh, thanks to all your listeners. And don't forget, if you want to sign up for the free summit, sleepsuccesssummit.com. And where else can we find you on social media? I know you've got uh, your website, uh, Twitter account. Where else can we find you? And what are the links to those? Sure. Uh, if people are looking for me, I'm very easy to find. It's thesleepdoctor.com. And I've got the same handle for Twitter and the same handle for Facebook. Great. Keep up the good work. I know you're helping tons of people out there, and I look forward to logging in on the summit as well. I will be there. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. Bye now. Guys, I hope you got as much out of that as I did, and I look forward to hearing about your stories of better sleep and new habits that you're locking in in order to hit peak potential. If you're enjoying the Success 101 podcast, as always, head on over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating and a review. Tell the people over at Apple how awesome you think this show is. That's what's going to keep this thing going on into the future. If you're looking to reach me for content or thoughts on the show, I can best be reached at my email address. That is the Success 101 podcast at gmail.com. I can also be found in the world of social media on Twitter at Warren Jared on Instagram at Jared underscore Warren, on Snapchat at Jared S. Warren, and of course on the Success 101 Facebook page, facebook.com slash Success 101 podcast. I'm also working on my fully scaled website that will be coming out soon, including all of my episodes and fully detailed show notes. And in the future, that will be found at Success 101 Podcast. Com. Should be out in the next couple of weeks, so I look forward to having you guys over there once it's launched. Thanks so much for your time here today. I'll see you on another episode of the Success 101 podcast. Until then. <laughs>